The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa-China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about China-Zambia relations. Zambia is, of course, one of the most important pillars within China's broader engagement strategy in Africa. It's one of China's oldest and most important geopolitical relationships on the continent. And really, that was on full display just last month when China's top foreign policy official, Yang Jiechi, visited Lusaka. Now, any time there's an international visit these days, it's important simply because of all of the mess that's going on with COVID-19. So the fact that Yang Jiechi went to Zambia really highlights the importance of this relationship. Now, when he was in Lusaka, he met with President Edgar Lungu, and presumably the two talked about debt. Now, they didn't publicly acknowledge that, but everybody knows that had to have been on the agenda. And debt is really one of the most important aspects of the China-Zambia relationship today. China is Zambia's largest bilateral creditor with about $3 billion of loans to various Chinese creditors. And that accounts for about 30% of the country's total external debt. Now, that's the external debt. There's new data coming out about the extent of Zambia's debt, which has never really been clear. And now they're looking at numbers as high as $26, 27000000000 billion. So the amount of debt that Zambia owes to the Chinese and to private creditors and to multilaterals is really a question that a lot of people are very frustrated about and led to a lot of disagreements last November when Zambia defaulted on a $42.5 million bond payment on some eurobond notes that were due. And Zambia, of course, became the first African country back in last year to default on its, uh, some of its debt in 2020. So the two sides, China and Zambia, are now reportedly back in talks to restructure some of, the, some of that debt. There was a little bit of news that came out of the talks that the China Development Bank would defer one of its loans. But again, there was a lot of kind of secrecy around it. We don't know which of the loans. We don't know how much or how long the deferral was for. And really, that gets to one of the big problems in this relationship is the lack of transparency. Investors, other creditors, everybody's really frustrated by the fact that the Chinese simply will not reveal what is the extent of their loan portfolio in Zambia. And President Edgar Lungu seems to be playing games as well and not accommodating international investors and multilaterals who are really trying to find out what the extent of the debt is. Now, the China-Zambia relationship isn't only about debt. And Kobus, this is where I think it's most interesting for you and I who've been following this for 10 years or so is because in so many ways, the memes and the narrative about the China-Africa relationship today, the broader relationship, in my view, so many of them anchor back down into Zambia. And there are so many rumors and misinformation that kind of come out of Zambian social media that have really just gelled and really taken heart in so much of how people see the China-Africa relationship writ large. Let me just remind you of a couple of those rumors. Now, back in 2016, 
there was the best headline that I've ever seen about China-Africa relations. And this was in the Washington Post. China, no, we are not sending cans of human flesh to Africa. <laughs> so that was when there were rumors that China was packing up cans of human flesh and shipping them to Zambia. And Zambian <laughs> social media took that and ran with it. Fast forward to 20, 2019 or 2020 with the launch of the Prosper Africa policy from the United States and member John Bolton, the former national security advisor, he said that Zesco, the national power company in Zambia, had been taken over by the Chinese. False. There were rumors that Star Times, the Chinese satellite TV company, had taken over the national broadcaster ZNBC. That too, false. There was a video circulating all around for about six months that a Zambian student in China was killed by Chinese nationals for allegedly dating a Chinese woman. False. That too was a video that was shot in Malaysia and recirculated for years around. But it shows you how there's such fertile ground for this hostility towards the Chinese. And in part, Kobus, I think it represents the complex nature of the tensions there and the sense of dependency that's kind of feeding into the current imbalance in the relationship. Yeah, it's also, you know, I, I think... It also goes back all the way to to the days of Michael Sata, like pre the previous Zambian president, um, who campaigned very hard on on a, a, a narrative of kicking out the Chinese, and then when he actually came to power, had to, to walk that back somewhat, and you know, and, and start working with the Chinese. So that that kind of you know, in in a nutshell, I think shows uh, shows like some of the complications facing African leaders as a whole and, and Zambian leaders specifically is that you know China is such a integral part of the Zambian economy but at the same time there's a lot of animosity towards China kind of floating through society and kind of bringing those two together is, is complicated. It's been a while since we focused on China-Zambia relations and the issue kind of popped up on our radar last week when a new video came out, The Impact of Zambia-China Relations on Zambia's Democracy, it featured an interview with Dr. Emmanuel Matambo, who is the research director at the University of Johannesburg Center for Africa-China Studies, a native of Lusaka himself. And he talked all about the history and the context of China-Zambia relations dating back to the mid-60s all the way up to the present. We thought it would be great to have Emmanuel to join us on the show. And he joins us this morning from Johannesburg. A very good morning, Dr. Matambo. Good morning to you, uh, Eric, and good morning to Kobus. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's wonderful to have you on the show. We're really excited to be able to dive into this issue because, again, as we've said, it's been a while since we've talked about Zambia. So much is happening. So much has happened on so many different fronts. As we've talked about the fake news issues, there's been uh, issues we're going to talk about with Miles Sampa, the mayor of Lusaka, and, of course, debt. Now, let's start our conversation going back to, again, you referenced this in the film, China's initial engagement in Zambia dates back all the way to the mid-60s. And at that time, you pointed out that it was driven very much by anti-colonial ideology. This, of course, was at the height of the Cold War. Today, though, it's very different as ideology seems to have given way to economics. Let's start with you helping us to understand where we are today in this relationship and that balance between ideology, economics, and all the different interests that make up the China-Zambia relationship. Once again, thank you very much for inviting me on this platform. I'm really honored. Um, to look at 
the China-Zambia relationship in its current form today, it is really uh, a far cry from the moral imperatives that uh, formed this relationship in 1964 and uh, right up to 1970, in the 1970s when China was instrumental in building the Tanzania-Zambia railway line. But then because today's relationship is one based on a China that has been growing at an exponential level. It is not a China that had a GDP per, a per capita GDP of up to $156 as late as 1978, which was a desperately poor country. Today, China is a moderately prosperous country. Zambia, on the other hand, remains mired in poverty. And uh, in, the, in the last two years, because of drought, because of spiraling debt, and because of political turmoil, Zambia's economy has actually uh, tanked somewhat. And that, of course, has been compounded by the co co uh, coronavirus pandemic. So you can see that all those, um, all the, the the context in which the economy was, well, the the relationship between China and Zambia was formed in the 1960s is markedly different from what is happening right now. What is happening right now is not a relationship between countries that see themselves as both developing from the third world, um, even though China still today evokes its its image as a developing country. But very few people, especially in the West, take it seriously, and very few people, even in Zambia itself, in the opposition circles, take that particular identity seriously because China is seen as a as a prosperous country and Zambia on the other hand is a country that is desperately um, dependent on China for its debt and that of course has to be seen in the context of the quality of the Zambian government under the uh, under Edgar Lungu, who took over power in 2015. He has antagonized the West. He has antagonized traditional donors. And because of that, he has been driven even deeper into the Chinese orbit. And that might have deleterious effects not only on Zambia's economic structure, but also on the country's very democracy and sovereignty. So, you, you know, kind of you, you mentioned the debt crisis and that's that's um, that, that, you know, that that is the one thing that I think a lot of people focus on on Zambia, you know, from the outside. But a lot of external, um, you know, external accounts of the debt crisis has essentially, you know, kind of characterized it as a Chinese crisis and not particularly bringing in all of the other kinds of debt that Zambia also has, including Eurobond debt. Um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how the debt is seen f within Zambia. Like, how do Zambian people think about the debt and the and the Chinese part with like within that debt? Let us walk back a little bit. Uh, you you made mention earlier on about uh, President the, our our late President uh, Michael Chilfiasata. What happened is that from 2001, when the Patriotic Front was formed, it did not have any ideological differences with the party from which it broke away, the movement for multi-party democracy. So now, what did Michael Satter have that was supposed to was going to be different from what the MMD was offering? So he seized upon the the, the increasing number of of, of, of of the increasing presence of China in Zambia, not only in terms of diplomats, as it has historically been the case, but in terms of uh, the presence of ordinary Chinese citizens in Zambia and the growing number of multinational corporations from China in Zambia. So because of that, a lot of Zambians who had not benefited from Zambia's 7.4% average growth from 2004 to 2014, from 2004 to 2011, they seized on that by saying, okay, maybe there is actually merit in what Michael Sata is saying, in saying all the, the, the problems that are happening in Zambia are because of the Chinese. So now, after even after Michael Sata, 
even after Michael Sata became president of Zambia, walked back a little bit from his anti-Chinese platform, a lot of Zambians who are convinced that there was merit in what he was saying still retain the blame that they had on, on China. And that is what is happening today. That is why even when you talk about issues of date, it is not they, they, these are issues that are steeped in both fact and in conjecture. That is why even today when Zambians talk about Chinese dominating the mines, for example, that is factually not true because the the companies that are domin dom dominating the mines, which is at the mainstay of Zamb which are the mainstays of Zambia's economy, uh, are countries from uh, are companies from Canada, such as uh, Quantum Gold. Uh, you're, you're looking at uh, you're, you're looking at countries. Uh, you're looking at other uh, companies as well from from Switzerland and and, and and stuff like that. But then it is because with Michael Sata's very convincing messaging about anti-China rhetoric, China is no longer. Uh, exclusively a rational or a political issue. It is more like an emotional issue. So even if you talk about debt that is owed to China, it is likely that the opposition is going to inflate that debt and people that are not aligned with the Edgar Lungu regime are going to inflate that debt just so because they use China as a battering ram for the, for the, uh, for the current government in Zambia. So it's a little bit of anti-immigrant sentiment that was driving it back in the Michael Sada day, and that is also to this day still seems to be quite prominent in terms of the hostility towards Chinese that exists within Zambian society. Is that, is it, can you boil it down to a Trump-like anti-immigrant sentiment? There is that involved because if you look at uh, the, 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 the pejorative terms that the Chinese are called, I mean, in 2000 and 2019, President Edgar Lungu ad-libbed by saying the Chinese are like cockroaches, they're everywhere. So, of course, that was just an ad-lib by him. But it, it just shows you the underlying effects that are happening in the Zambia-China relationship. It is a relationship of a desperate Zambian government that is, of course, very much aware that China will increasingly be more like an albatross around the Zambian government's neck. Although at the moment, because of Zambia's antagonism, for example, we have, we, in 2018, we antagonized the IMF at a time when we needed date from the IMF and the World Bank by suggesting that Alfredo Bodini, who was the IMF country representative, be withdrawn from Zambia because he had criticized Zambia's unsustainable date and much of that date owed to China. So compounded with that now is the fact that, yes, despite all this date, there is is also this anti-foreign anti sentiment, anti-Chinese sentiment that Michael Sata had so adroitly sponsored in Zambia, and it has outlived him even beyond his death. So the matter cannot just be reduced to, to one component, whether it's economic or, or whether it's a racial or anti-immigrant anti issue. It could actually be a combination of all those influences. You know, so, so as Eric mentioned, there's a lot of controversy around how much debt um, was taken out by the Zambian government. And, you know, so, so, so the issue isn't only, isn't only the, the repayment of the current debt, but also all of these questions around like how much debt there is. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that is reported on within Zambia, like where, you know, kind of whether that's ever, the, the, the amount of debt has ever, ever been clarified within the country. And then also, what was all of this debt used for? Like, what were some of the projects funded by, by all of this debt? So, first of all, let us look at what the government, the Zambian government itself, says about debt. In 2019, uh, Minister Bwadiangandu, our finance minister, said that Zambia's external debt was at 10.23 billion debt. Now, to put that in context, in 2011, 
when the Zambian, when the current government, the current patriotic front government was coming into into power, Zambia's debt was about 1.7 billion. So that was, it was quite an exponential uh, increase in less than in less than 10 years. Last year, the figures said that Zambia's external debt was about 11.97 billion. Now, those numbers are disputed by um, by, by, by 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 some uh, some assessors, especially members of the. Uh, the, the, spelled by members of the opposition, and that is partly due to the government itself. When Felix Mutati was, who is now a member of the of the opposition uh, government, but served as a, or, or, who is now a member of the opposition party, but served as the minister of finance, had made a misstatement in parliament. I don't know the figure that he put up as as the. As, as, as the total amount of Zambia's external debt, but it was way higher than what has been reported ever since he resigned. So those are just some of the things that have kind of uh, stimulated the debate around the veracity of the numbers that are being reported by government. Now, the second part of your question asks about what this date has been used for. Well, much of the debt has been gone has gone towards construction. In 2011, when Michael Chilifiasata became president, uh, he came up with what we call the Link Zambia 8000. Now, 8000 starts for 8000 kilometers of roadworks in Zambia to be done uh, in concert with China. So some of these roads were to be new roads. Some of these new roads were to be roads that had, were already existing but had to be had to be repaired. That is where some of the money went. Some of the other money, of course, went to. Uh, building infrastructures such as uh, the, the 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 minister the, the the ministry of housing in Zambia is building uh, houses for for the police in Zambia. Of course, that has been sponsored by the Chinese. Kenneth Kaunda International Airport, which is the biggest air, international airport in Zambia, is being sponsored by the Chinese as well. So some of this money has been parcelled out in all these massive infrastructural um, infra infrastructural projects in Zambia. Some of that debt was also used to build Zambia's telecommunications network that is now using lots of Huawei equipment that also was reported by the Wall Street Journal last August, no, August 2019, which apparently it was used to spy and surveil on the opposition parties. Talk to us a little bit about the Huawei role in Zambia. At the moment, that should be looked at in the broader context of uh, what um, Eric, you talked about the, the, the ZNBC being overtaken by China. Now, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that is completely uh, completely off because remember that when Zambia was trying to navigate from analog to digital television, it had to, it, it had to work in concert with, 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 with Topstar from, from China. They came up with Topstar, which is going to help with uh, signal distribution and stuff like that. Now, Topstar, but Topstar is a joint venture. It's not a 100% Chinese, ent Chinese entity, correct? No, it is. It is not. It is actually a, a, a joint venture between ZNBC and a Chinese, Chinese entity. So what happened though is that there has been um, because the Zambian government could not pay forty percent of what it was supposed to pay in this uh, joint venture. I think uh, the the the, uh, the Chinese had to put up about sixty percent of that particular amount of money. That is why there has been concerns even about about private media in Zambia saying. Topstar should be a signal distributor, but they're actually afraid now that it might also be uh, influencing also the, the, the type of content that is being distributed. But there's no evidence of that, though, correct? I mean, there, that's fear and speculation, but we have not seen any actual evidence of 
Top Star, Star Times, or any other Chinese entity influencing the content of ZNBC, right? No, but last year in March, when Top Star decided to take Prime Media off its platform, remember the, the Zambian government wanted to the Zambian government wanted to carry out certain campaigns on on, on the coronavirus and reportage using Prime TV, which is a which is a, a private owned media. So when Prime TV insisted that it cannot do that unless the Zambian government pays the debt that it already owes. Uh, Dora Siria, who is the, pres- who is the Minister of uh, Telecommunication, said, well, from now on, we've banned uh, uh, ad- all forms of advertisement on Prime TV. And almost overnight, uh, Topstar decided to take Prime TV off its platform. So those are just some of the things that said, that gave this, uh, the critical, the Zambians who are critical, the impression that anything that is that could be even remotely against uh, China or even tangentially touching on China Zambian concerns could actually be censured by by, by Topstar. So those are just some of the things that bring up a, cl- a cloud of uh, a, a cloud of mystery around uh, Zambia's uh, digital even digital cooperation with China and the aspect of Huawei has to be looked at as well in that particular context even though up to now there hasn't been any unimpeachable evidence saying that Huawei has been used to spy on uh, Zambian opposition political parties. So in relation to that, if, if one is to, to track the kind of impact of Chinese technology on, on Zambian um, democracy, A, you know, kind of would, would you would you see the Huawei example as, as an example of that? And B, you know, kind of where do you where do you draw the line in between like, you know, the the you know what what what, what Chinese actors are doing and, and and what Zambian actors and the Zambian government is pushing for? The major responsibility in terms of uh, the, the the pushback against uh, China's uh, encroaching influence as well on Zambia's democracy resides primarily with the Zambian government. And then what does not help the matter, though, is the opacity that surrounds China's interaction with Zambia. We have talked about how uh, the numbers for for date, for example, to China are contested. We have uh, and, and there isn't any. For, for many Zambians, especially those in opposition circles, they do not draw a line. I know that Huawei has been very, uh, very active in trying to de- to, defer- to desist itself, to, to distance itself from the Chinese government by saying it is a private entity. But that has unfortunately not been very persuasive enough for Zambians who are very critical of China. And all of that, of course, is compounded by the mystery that just surrounds this relationship that for a long time was an open relationship. Uh, even the numbers of Chinese in Zambia for a long time were numbers that could easily be tabulated. But all of a sudden, there's mystery surrounding these numbers. The Zambian government itself has been very touchy if you, if you probe them about the, about the Chinese. And not only that, Members of the of this of, of previous members of this very government, like Tishimbakambuli, for example, who was the Minister of Information and Government spokesperson, immediately after resigning from the Zambian government, he started saying, "Well, there is actually a lot more that is owed to China than what is reported." Because Im- implicitly saying that when he was in government, he had to toe the party line, not reporting the correct the correct extent to which China is is, is influencing Zambia. Um, another one is Harikalaba. Harikalaba was the Minister of Foreign Affairs, actually. So he has also 
he has also gone on to, to, to form his party called the Democratic Party. And one of his most important topics of his debate going into this year's election has been the fact that Zambia is, 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 is caving in to China's influence. So all that, to some extent, gives a lot of people, especially those who are critical of the government, the reasons to think that there is actually more, uh, there is actually a more troubling uh, reality to what the Zambian government wants to to to, to present vis-a-vis its relationship with China. I'm glad you brought up the question of the opposition parties and the, the critiques of China, because it seems to me, and again, I'm no expert here, but that the criticisms of China in many ways are a proxy for, the, for attacking the Lungu administration, because as Zambia has become more authoritarian, more opaque, whereas Lungu has been going after his enemies much more, it's easy to go after the Chinese because, number one, they don't say anything back. And because of Lungu's close relationship with the Chinese, by attacking the Chinese, you are indirectly attacking Lungu. And so we've seen this play out in other African countries as well. So I'm curious to know, do you think that the criticisms of the Chinese, whether or not they're legitimate or not, is irrelevant? But are they really in many ways just a proxy to go after the Lungu administration and really not as much about the Chinese? That's a that's a very good question. So I will unpack it this way. Let us look at um, at the at the beginning. I said that one of the uh, one one of the changing aspects of Zambia-China relations is the influence of non-state actors, multinational corporations that do not come at the behest of the Chinese government and ordinary Chinese entrepreneurs coming to ply their trade in Zambia. So let us look at it from that way, and then let us look at the people who are analyzing China's uh, relationship with Zambia, especially in unfavorable terms. Now. When we look at the opposition political parties, it is not only um, people who are politically active or people who are in political positions in the oppo- in the opposition that are actually critical of the Zambia-China relationship. It is also ordinary Zambians who are working with ordinary Chinese. Now, why is this happening? Why, while the Chinese government at a diplomatic and state level will try by all means to posture itself in historical terms, we helped Zambia during the, 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 the independence struggle, we helped Zambia with the Tazara, that message does not always percolate to individual Chinese uh, citizens who come to Zambia to play their own trade, to look for their own interests. They all know any political explanation to their, to their country because they do not serve at it under, under its aegis. So that is why there is a lot of reality to how ordinary Zambians perceive ordinary Chinese. So at the level of politics, when you look at the opposition in Zambia and how they appraise the, the, the political actors from China or diplomats from China, yes, there is an element of political opportunism. But that does not undermine the fact that ordinary Zambians bearing the brand of some, some troubling aspects or some sinister aspects of Zambia-China relations at a subaltern level are forced. They are not forced at all because these are steeped in reality, although they are kind of inflamed and exaggerated when they reach the political, the higher political echelons. You know, as as, as was mentioned earlier, the you know when 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 Zambia took on a lot of its of its early debt, that was at a moment uh, in the commodity super cycle where where copper was was very high, and Zambia was was growing at at a, at a very fast rate. You know, I've I've seen some criticism of the Zambian government, you know, that, that they hadn't um, diversified their economy enough beyond copper to be able to, to, to deal with falling copper prices. Do you think that's fair? And also, do you think, you know, kind of what, you know, what, what, what is the progress now on diversifying the economy beyond copper? One of the most 
crippling effects of Zambia's economy is its perennial uh, and, and, and this patho- almost it's a, almost a pathological dependency on copper. Even up to now, copper still amounts for on average about 76% of Zambia of, of, of Zambia's exports. So that of course shows that this is not sustainable in a country that has a lot of human capital. In a country that is uh, Zambia is about 752 square uh, 752,000 square kilometers. So it is. To put it in, to put that in perspective, that is almost the size of Texas, and Texas has about 28 million, and Zambia is almost three times the size of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has about 68 million. Zambia, on the other side, has about uh, 18, 18 million people. But then, how has that been used to the to, to the advantage of the Zambian government in terms of diversifying the economy? It hasn't. That is why, even in 2019, up to now, there is a saga surrounding the. Concola copper, copper mine, KCM, and, Vendata, uh, and uh, the ownership of Vendata resources. KCM is the biggest copper producer. And when the Zambian government took Vendata resources, uh, Vendata resources to, to court, saying they want to liquidate KCM and, 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 and uh, effectively seize it from Vendata resources, there was an uproar from Zambians saying it is because the Zambian government has defaulted on its debt to China. That is why it has to carry out some backdoor privatization of Concola Copper Mine, take it from Vendata resources, which is from India, and give it to the Chinese, who are, who, to, to, to whom we owe most of the debt. So that just shows how this perennial and uh, this, this chronic dependency on copper is likely um, has been actually to the to the disadvantage of Zambia and how of course China has been brought into the mainstream because into the mainstream of Zambia's mainstay of economics which is copper production because at, because up to now 80% of copper production in Zambia is catered for by countries by companies that are from elsewhere rather than China. Last year, we reported on the fact that blueberries, Zambian blueberries, were approved for export into China. And that raised a lot of hope and expectation that there might be a way to broaden out the Zambia-China trade relationship beyond copper, as you pointed out. Is there any movement to that, as you're seeing in terms of diversifying trade between the two countries? At the moment, I would not speak authoritatively about that, but still, uh, most of the trade, other than uh, copper that is produced between uh, that that th- that forms the the content of the Zambia-China relationship, other than copper, trade still remains negligible. We have talked about we have talked about uh, there the are people who are even mooting the fact that we have to. Uh, we, we, we have to, we have to come up with a way of trying to make sure that we regulate this uh there's this special rosewood called mukula tree we have to regulate how uh, the the exports of mukula tree to china but also that has come under constant scrutiny because it was uh, i think the government's way of trying to diversify its trade with china but that has backfired because a lot of people think as if uh, the deforestation that has been happening uh, under under mukula tree has just been a mask in order to appease the many zambians who are eager for diversification but of course that has happened to the to the detriment of uh, of of climate change in Zambia and of course the illegal nature of some of the the alleged illegal nature of some of the exports being taken to China yeah there's a lot of corruption involved in that yes indeed you know as eric mentioned zambia has as in as in the past been this kind of rich source of 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 misinformation about about china africa relations you know like all all of all of these kind of rumors kind of popping up and and really kind of gain gaining um legs across the continent um why do you think zambia particularly as you know kind of has has been so, so kind of so, such a big player in in producing these kind of these kind of like false narratives about China? 
all this is is steeped in in historical in historical context. Um, China put a very high premium on uh, on its relationship with Zambia and Tanzania um, back in the in the 1960s. It was more so actually with 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 Tanzania because Tanzania was openly a socialist country. Zambia claimed to be a humanist country. Our trade was actually our 96% of our trade throughout the Kaunda Kaunda regime was actually with the West. But then Kaunda positioned himself very well in such a way that he appealed both to the West and also to the to the socialist camp. Now, why has Zambia taken such importance in, and, and why has it been a fount of such such news to China? Well, when uh, President uh, Chairman Mao of China, when he came up with his famous three world theory where he, he, he categorized the world players into uh, three categories, saying there was the West, uh, which was the, the first, the first world, of course, the capitalist world, and then there was uh, the, the the second world, which, which are the kind of the middle income countries, which were of, of obviously leaning towards the capitalist uh, world as well, and then the third world, in which he put um, the rest of the of the poor countries. Uh, a, a lot of information today is coming up now, saying that it was actually in his conversation with President Kaunda that uh, Chairman Mao propagated that particular. That, that that particular division of, of, of world players. And also it is noteworthy that Kaunda famously described Zambia and China as all-weather friends. So this is a relationship that was very pivotal. And of course, in the 19... In 1967, when Nyerere and Kaunda approached West Germany, Canada, the United States, and the World Bank for... To, to, to build an alternative an alternative line that would not pass through Rhodesia, which is then which is now Zimbabwe and South Africa, and that they were turned down by that side. When Mao visited uh, when Mao visited China, I think it was in 1967, January and Kaunda visited, I think also in 1967, Mao accepted to to that particular request with alacrity. So that just shows the sacrifices that China made, and China was uh, a poor country itself at that particular time, having been uh, ravaged by the long march. And then, of course, uh, the the the, the uh, and and of course the effects that came with the with the Cultural Revolution. That not that that being the case, it still finished the Tazara railway line within with, with within record time, if not before before the, the the estimated time for for completion. Actually, so these are the historical context that actually pitted uh, that put Zambia as China and, and China as these formidable friends. So now it was kind of even in in two thousand and seven. At the at, at at the summit in Portugal, uh, in Lisbon, Portugal, the summit between the European Union and Africa, President Mwanawasa of Zambia, the, the late now, uh, went on to say, "Well, we tend we tend to China when you in the West turned our back on us. That is why we went to China." Uh, he affirmed that, and then in 2006, of course, when President Ho Jintao uh, embarked on his uh, long visit to to Africa, he spent most of his days in Zambia. But then it that also coincided at the same time when Michael Sata's campaign against the Chinese was taking root, and it is because of that actually that uh, Michael Sata grew his, uh, his his support. Because in 2001, when he first contested presidential elections, I think he only garnered about three percent of the vote. By 2006, he, he had garnered 29 percent of the of the total vote, and much of that was actually owed to China. So there is this contestation of of, of views between a China that has always been a dependable partner in Zambia and a China that now the Zambian uh, Zambians today 
who have no sentimentalism about what China did in order to to build the Tazarao line and what China did elsewhere in 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 colonial Africa. All that has lost its luster now because, for example, the Tazarao line has been underperforming. Now they're trying to to revamp it, but it has never gone back to the the estimated um, estimated levels of operation that that everyone hoped for. So today the relationship between Zambia and China is one that should be issue-based. And because it should be issue-based, a lot of people are looking at it with clear lenses and and as I have said already, people like I, for example, who were not yet born when, when, when the Tazarari line was, was made, we are not at all trying, we are not at all persuaded by all the historical contexts that are being created. We want an issue-based relationship where one that will translate into the one that will translate into the development of Zambia, not only at the at, at the expense of Zambia. You say issue-based should be the basis of the relationship, but it feels like emotions still run very high. And I want to go back to a week last May, and it was a remarkable week that happened. And and I'm really looking forward to getting your analysis of this week. So last May, uh, Miles Sampa, who is the mayor of Lusaka and also happens to be the nephew of former President Michael Sada, So he has politics in his blood. And last May, he embarked on what was nothing short of a spectacular confrontation with various Chinese entities, and it felt like it was done for overt political reasons. So May 18th, Miles Sampa shut down a Chinese restaurant in Lusaka that was allegedly denying service to black patrons. On May 22nd, he shut down a Chinese-owned barbershop in real you know, flair, and it was really quite interesting, that he claimed was refusing service to black patrons. Also, all of the prices were in Chinese. When a black patron would come into the into the barbershop, the Chinese owners would say, we're closed, and then there would be a Chinese person who comes in and they offer a haircut. Now, when Miles Sampa went to shut down these various establishments, he brought with him a crew of people who had video cameras rolling. Here's the interaction in the barbershop. I'm coming back in one hour. If I find you, I'll get you arrested for parating illegally because our license we have taken. Because you are discriminating blacks and closing and only attending to Chinese and stopping blacks. You lie that you've closed, but you are doing business here with Chinese. There's no segregation. This license doesn't permit you. And also putting the prices in Chinese. It's illegal. Put in English. If you want, put in Nyanja. This is not Wuhan. This is not Wuhan. Then, uh, just two days later, he confronted the owners of a Chinese cement plant for allegedly locking in 100 employees in the plant. Now, the the plant owners say they did that because of COVID-19 and they didn't want their workers to become infected. May 27th, so just a little bit more than a week after this all began, there was something equally remarkable. Now, in the buildup to May 27th, the momentum on, on Zambian social media was phenomenal. It was getting a lot of positive response. People were saying, finally, there's somebody who's cracking down. Finally, there's somebody who's speaking up against the Chinese. And it was really getting a lot of positive momentum. And out of nowhere, it seemed to us looking at this, Miles Sampa issued a rather dramatic apology. We do not see apologies like this in politics, as blatant and as direct and as humble as this. And in part, it's because 
In one of the confrontations that Miles Sampa had, he used a derogatory reference for Chinese people, and you will hear in the tone of his voice, he was humbled by it. I accept my error in judgment of physically going to the business premises instead of engaging relevant offices and institutions. I can give guidance, but actual execution of revoking trading licenses for any trader or business house that may be found wanting or in breach of any law of the land need to be done by relevant offices and institutions. I wish to apologize unreservedly to the following one the Chinese community in the city of Lusaka and beyond for the tone and language used towards one of their nationals, in particular on the use of the word Chinaman. They have since lodged in a formal complaint against my use of the word. They demanded that I render an apology. I therefore sincerely apologize to all the Chinese people. Again, you do not hear apologies like that in politics in any country that often. Now, the reaction to that was, well, the Chinese exerted their power and forced the mayor to to do that. And people were very despondent after all of this because, again, the week prior, there was all this excitement that finally somebody's stepping up and now he's been slapped down again. So... The key question for you, Emmanuel, is a character like Miles, who again is the descendant or you know, a family related to one of the great politicians of modern Zambia. Yes. Did he choose this approach because he saw what his uncle did and it was very successful as uncle to go after the Chinese and he thought, I will do that. Then when he is forced to apologize, was he forced to apologize because of pressure from the Chinese? Or what it looks like is that local government's minister, Charles Banda, came in and said, you overstepped your boundary and we're pissed off at you because you're playing politics and turf that's ours on the, in the ministerial level. So this had nothing to do with the Chinese. This was more about being slapped down because he crossed a line in internal politics. And again, those lines are very, very blurred. Help us understand Miles Sampa and all of those events last year and what they represented. Yes, it, it is very difficult for me, actually, as a Zambian, to be, to be listening to, 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 that, to that footage there. So, hold on. It's, it's difficult for you to listen to the apology, right? Yes, indeed. Because it's, it's, it's so degrading and humbling? It is. Um, and uh, by, by the way, I, I, say, I say this because I come from the same area as, 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 as Miles Sampa, a place called Matero. He was actually my member of parliament, someone that I know very well. So um, I, and, and I, I, know, I, know, I know the kind of president that he is, and I know that he was under enormous pressure from, from his own government. Now, there are two possibilities there, uh, that, that, that could be used to interpret that. One was pressure from the government itself, not from the Chinese, and then the other was pressure from the Chinese on the government. Now, the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, 
when that was happening, we, we should we should remember that what actually brought that uh, to what what brought that to the to the fore was the fact that a Zambian had been uh, had been re- refused admittance into a Chinese facility, and he was called a foreigner. So that is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, his girlfriend uh, was 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 allowed. I think she was of Chinese extraction, if I'm not mistaken. So. That was also was happening under the context of the Chinese, uh, of, of, of sorry, of the coronavirus uh, waging war and onslaught on on Zambia, and a lot of people, of course, uh, believing as 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 it has become common knowledge now that the the virus was actually coming from from China. So try now to juxtapose the two, where the country from which this virus is actually coming from is the same country that is discriminating us on the fact that we could actually be vectors or bearers of the of the coronavirus. So that is what um, inflamed even the sensibilities of ordinary Zambians and Miles Sampa uh, earned a lot of plaudits and praise from ordinary Zambians. So the Chinese, though, were very the Chinese were very concerned about that because as you have noticed, for example, the case of the United States where about 3,000 cases have been reported on attacks on people of foreign, of, of, of Asian extraction because of the coronavirus. So they were probably, uh, understandably so, they were, the Chinese were understandably concerned that such a thing could also happen in, in Zambia because Miles Sampa is a very popular figure. He is very popular on social media. He has his own television because he doesn't do television. He doesn't actually use uh, ZNB which is a state-owned television. He has his own television channel called Boba TV, which has a lot of followers. So he knows the Chinese are very aware that he has a very large backing. So because of that, we cannot rule out the fact that they exerted pressure on the Zambian government. But there's no evidence of that, correct, though? I mean, that's just speculation again. That, 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 that is speculation because we never know, we would never know what happens between the Zambian government and the Chinese, especially when it comes to, to such matters. Now, what could be of, 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 what could be a reasonable explanation, though, is the fact that this, the Patriotic Front itself, well aware of how much debt it, 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 it owes to China, is very concerned about antagonizing such a significant, uh, such a significant partner. And it is because of that uh, that uh, Minister the, Charles Band, as the Minister of Local Government, issued that uh, public warning to Miles Sampa, telling him to stay away. Now, legally, yes, a mayor is not al- allowed to go and uh, manhandle people in Lusaka and tell them to, to close shop. That is that, that legally, I think there are there are beliefs that are uh, are in charge of that. But then, what was more to the disappointment of Zambians, especially people like me, what was more a disappointment was that at least would have hoped that to some extent the government would have said, okay, we have to find a remedy though to what is happening because we we accept that there was an injustice on what was happening in those particular Chinese shops. But then maybe the way in which Mao Sampa dealt with it was wrong. That was not forthcoming. Unfortunately, Mao Sampa was just uh, yeah, slapped down, but there was no admission on the Zambian government that the issue raised, though, had, uh, were issues that were actually steeped in reality. That was what was uh, disappointing on the part of many Zambians. In the, in the discussion, we've really kind of come, come to realize how complicated the relationship between Zambia and China is. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, there's all of this all of this popular resentment of China and, you know, and, and a kind of a, a, a kind of a cultural, uh, you know, a, a, polit- a political culture of attacking China. And then at the same time, you know, China is just buying more and more copper, among other reasons, because of, of all its kind of technological advancement into electric vehicles and other other fields. Um, 
so China isn't leaving Zambia because it, you know, kind of it, it, it's so involved in the in the Zambian copper um, industry. But at the same time, it's also the two are also bound together by debt. You know, from now on. So, uh, like, how, how do you see the China-Zambia relationship developing into the future? That, that's a v- very good question, and um, the relationship will depend mostly on what happens on the 12th of August this year, when the Zambians when Zambians go to the vote. If the Patriotic Front maintains its power, then we'll see that there will be an increase of more or less the same thing that has been obtaining in terms of Zambia's relationship with China, because at uh, from what we have seen in the past five years of, of, of Edgar Lungu's government, we are not very confident that Zambia will be diligent in paying back its debt to, to China. Just in 2018, for example, for the first time, a Chinese uh, state-owned company abandoned, called Sinohydro, uh, I think, abandoned its works on the Kafue Gorge without any explanation. And a lot of people thought, well, it is because the, China, the Chinese now have seen that there isn't, um, the, the Chinese have seen that there are no prospects of Zambia repaying some of his debt and that is why they're trying to to squeeze these things and then um, to, to squeeze the Zambian government and then of course that is what brought up the speculation from people like John Bolton saying okay China will have to find another way to recoup its debt but then if in August uh, an opposition government, uh, an opposition party, let's say the United Party for National Development comes into government well it will be saddled with uh, it, it would have inherited this spiraling date but then there could be a change depending on how the, 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 the UPND itself will sell its manifesto this year. If it will sell its manifesto on a strictly anti-Chinese platform, then there will be a lot of backlash should it try to backtrack on its, on, 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 on its, on its campaign promises. But then that, of course, is in the future. It's in the realm of, of speculation for now. But it will hinge more on who is in government and how, how much pushback are they going to make against the, the Chinese government. Emmanuel Matambo is the research director at the University of Johannesburg Center for Africa-China Studies. He is the star of a short documentary film interview kind of video on YouTube, The Impact of Zambia-China Relations on Zambia's Democracy. It's an excellent look at the history of China-Zambia relations. It runs about 20 minutes. I have a link to it in the show notes. Emmanuel, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It was absolutely enlightening to have your perspective on this incredibly complicated relationship. If people want to follow what you're reading and writing, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, before I give my contest, thank you very much, Eric, and uh, thank you very much to Kobus as well and the China Africa Project for inviting me. I was really honored to, to be part of this program. If people want to follow my writings, they can reach me on Twitter. Uh, my, my, my Twitter handle is E.K. Matambo, uh, just E.K. and then uh, Matambo, my surname. On Facebook, it's the, same, it's the same handle as well, E.K. Matambo. And then they can also follow our writings on the University of Johannesburg Center for Africa-China Studies. And then uh, some people who want to follow my newspaper articles can read my, uh, my, my fortnight publications in the Pan-African Review. We will put links to all of that in the show notes to make sure that people can connect with you. Emmanuel, once again, thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your insights with us. Thank you very much and uh, goodbye. Kobus, the key takeaway from the discussion with Emmanuel is if you are new to China-Africa relations, be very, very careful when you start hearing things coming from Zambia. It is an extraordinarily complex place. The, the levels of misinformation run very high. The history is very fraught. As he talked about, there was a lot of references to the 1960s and and Maoism. And today, and I didn't have a chance to play all of the sound bites, but it was interesting because 
a lot of the references that Miles Sampa brought up when he was confronting the Chinese was the fact that we're not in the colonial period anymore. This isn't colonialism anymore. And it really feels like what Miles was tapping into was this anxiety, and we see this in Kenya and Nigeria as well, that the insensitivity that a lot of Chinese stakeholders have to their presence and how it draws up those feelings of imperialism and colonialism from an era that really wasn't that long ago. These memories are still fresh for a lot of people. And the presence of foreigners, regardless of where they come from, in all of these sectors of the economy really makes people feel uneasy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, at the same time, it's notable that, you know, that, that this kind of these, these kind of tropes of colonialism are used to criticize a, uh, an actor, you know, a global actor, which was instrumental in fighting colonialism in Africa, and particularly in Zambia, you know, so, so, so the, the kind of contradictions between between kind of historical awareness and the, the kind of and contemporary frustration is, is particularly stark, I think, there. But that's at the geopolitical level. As, as we heard it from Emmanuel, on the, the guy on the street doesn't think like that, right? When he sees that he's not able to go into a barbershop or into a restaurant because his race blocks him from doing that, they're not going to draw and saying, well, Mao helped us in the anti-colonial struggle, so it's okay. Yeah, no, no, definitely, of course. But it, it, it's, it's more, you know, kind of like, it, it's more kind of a broader irony, you know, kind of that the way, the way things have shaken out. Yeah, it is. It is certainly is ironic, but it again, it is something very, very complex. As we talked about, so many of the memes related to the broader China-African narrative originated in Zambia. Again, I talked about the imports of human flesh. We've talked about the beating video. So many of these of these memes. And one of the interesting things in this new social media era that we live in, and because when Michael Sada was there, it was pre-Facebook. In the post-Michael Sada era, which is now in the Facebook era memes that originate in Zambia don't stay within Zambia. They flow like a jet stream all throughout Anglophone Africa, and they kind of take on a reality of their own. And again, it's what makes studying this so fascinating and so interesting, but it also makes it very difficult. And so, and then when it's repeated by the likes of the National Security Advisor of the United States, who is repeating fake information or false information or misinformation, how... For example, the Zesco takeover line got into a national security advisor speech I'll never understand. I mean, that must have been vetted by 50 people, at least. And no one really asked to check to say, did this actually happen? That's remarkable to me. But because it takes a life of its own, and so much of what comes out of Zambia in terms of the relationship with China, because of the persistent opacity in the relationship, the fact that both the Chinese and the Lungu administration hide behind the walls and never share anything, you know, it's not surprising that this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 interesting to 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 watch the the dynamics in action. The, I, I think you know the the reality is also that the two are kind of locked together, you know, um, and that they they they're not going to be unraveling that relationship soon. Um, and you know, uh, but but I think I I also wonder like what what the limit is for this kind of you know kind of using using China as a proxy for frustrations with the Zambian government, you know, and 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 when when that 
that will become unfeasible and when it will actually kind of, you know, some of those frustrations will have to be dealt with. Because, you know, it's 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 one thing to blame, for example, China, you know, for, for the current debt problem. But the, the decision making by the Zambian government was key, you know, in, in, in making the current debt problem. So so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of when that reckoning comes. Well, we will find out a lot, as Emmanuel pointed out, is going to change, and it's going to change in August, depending on who wins the election. We'll see what happens. That being said, given the fact that the opposition has kind of stated itself as being very anti-Chinese, there is precedent, because that's, of course, what Michael Sato ran on. And then the moment that he won the presidency, the first trip that he took overseas was to Beijing. And he became a very enthusiastic endorser of what's going on in, you know, in the China-Zambia relationship. So we'll see what happens there. But this is one of the most fascinating relationships. We've asked Emmanuel to come back and join us over the summer for an update as we get closer to the elections because we want to keep you in uh, up to date on everything that's happening there. We, of course, are following the China-Zambia relationship day by day in our daily email newsletter, which we hope that you will take a moment to to sign up for and to take a listen. If you're really interested in following these kinds of issues on debt, please do check it out at chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe. We have a special discount of 20% for a lifetime subscription. For those of you who listen to the podcast, just use the promo code podcast at checkout and we'll give you that 20% discount. This is the only place that will give you this everyday deep dive into the China Africa and China Zambia relationship. So that'll do it for this edition of the China and Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander for Cobus Van Staden. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. Or follow the guys on Twitter. Eric's at Iolanda and you can find Kobas at Stadenesk. For more information about the China Africa Project and to sign up for our free weekly email news brief, go to chinaafricaproject.com. <laughs>